Hello, and welcome to the Fire Protection Association's Assembly Point podcast. I'm Howard Passy, Director of Operations at the Fire Protection Association, and I'm delighted to be hosted today's episode, which marks the 75th anniversary of the FPA. Today, I'll be having conversations with Peter Capelhorn, Chief Executive at the Construction Products Association, Adrian Dobson, Secretary of the RIBA Expert Advisory Group for Fire Safety, and Dennis Davis, Executive Officer at the Fire Sector Federation. This episode will take a look back at the key milestones and turning points in fire safety in the UK, as well as looking ahead to the next 75 years. I started off by speaking to Peter Capelhorn about some of the most significant fire events that have shaped building safety legislation and his role in the Hackett Review and various working groups. I then spoke to Adrian and Dennis to get their views on the future of fire safety. When we look back at the history of fire safety in the UK, there have been a number of significant fires that have sent shockwaves across the fire safety sector. Some of the fires that will probably come to mind are Bradford City Stadium in 1985, King's Cross in in 87, Lackanore House, and then, of course, more recently, the, the Grenfell Tower fire in 2017. During your career, what has been the event that you feel has had the biggest impact on fire safety? Howard, um, hi there, and thank you very much for inviting me along uh, on this podcast. It's really good to see you. So, when I reflect on 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 this uh, on this topic, of course, you know there have been many tragedies that I've I've um, known during my career, but the the seminal event for me was Summerland on the Isle of Man. Now, and and the reason for that was that I was just starting my career way back. Uh, and it, it was, it was um, I believe, 73 from memory. And Summerland, for those of you who don't, uh, who, who don't know it, um, it this, was a, this was a new development uh, really to, to bring holidaymakers back to the UK. And what the Summerland was about was it was a big space that people could relax and enjoy out of, out of the UK weather. Uh, the problem was they didn't really research the cladding very well, and where we heard that before, uh, and um, the cladding caught fire, and it was a it was a gla- it was a plastic composite that caught fire, uh, and sadly, uh, I think again from memory there was something like around fifty people killed and around eighty people injured. It was a horrific um, event, but the 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 thing for me was I was just starting my career. There were many things that did change after that. There were many things that affected the regulations. But the the thing that stuck with me as a designer, as an architect, was that you have to research your products. You really have to look at what you're designing. And if you've got any chance of making sure that the, the design that you're doing, the building that you're doing is going to be safe, you've got to understand the performance. You've got to know what it's about. And many of those things you know, Howard, have, have resonated in, in the, the, the disasters that you've mentioned just now. But many of the things have been affecting people all the way through um, the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, and, we, and we can see some of those in the issues that we're grasping with today. Yeah, I think Summerland is one that sticks in my mind as well, um, mainly because it was one of the, the first incidents that I studied myself when I first joined the FPA um, in terms of um, uh, speaking about legislation and, and delivering training and such like. Um, and, and I think you're quite right. There's, you know, there's clearly some synergies with what we're looking at today in terms of materials performance, which was, you know, sadly 
very much misunderstood at the time um, and, and maybe is to a certain degree still. And, and I think it's also sad that we, um, you know, not just Summerland, but some of those other incidents we mentioned, um, I mentioned earlier, you know, they've, they've all led in a stable door fashion to us having, you know, new legislation to try and stop it happening again. Yeah, yeah, they have. And yet, um, certainly over the last maybe 20 years, we've had several events where, uh, the, you know, the, 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 post, uh, the post-disaster experience has been clearly identified. We've, we've clearly seen where things have gone wrong, but I don't think we've learned enough lessons. I don't think we have. And certainly, you know, I don't want to talk too much out of turn, um, but, you know, certainly with Lackanor House, there were some very clear lessons that we should have learned from Lacknell House. And that's not saying that we could have avoided Grenfell, but certainly that the, the, there were there were clear issues there with the spandrel panels, with the maintenance, uh, with the uh, even the approach to the disaster that, that sadly affected uh, people's lives, you know. Um, and, it, and it's an immense frustration uh, to anybody involved with the construction sector at all, that, that we um, have not grasped the nettle, either uh, as a country or as an industry. Mm. Yeah, I, I, we have reflected on, on Lackenhall in, in, in previous, um, on previous podcasts. And, and I think one of, the, um, uh, one of the guests we had on previously was reflecting on how quickly and how thoroughly responded to the fire at King's Cross um, and how, how poorly I suppose, in in relative terms, we did in we we did in relation to to what went on at Lackenhall. Um, a huge question, but do you still think that there are gaps in legislation where we need a more comprehensive fire safety legislative regime? Well, it, simple answer is yes. I know that's a big question, but the way I would look at it is that, um, and there are two halves to this, two halves to the equation, as far as I'm concerned. The regulatory bit. But there is also how the industry responds to the regulation. And if I can, if I can just explain, you know, up up until um, up until Grenfell, we had seen uh, a deregulation emphasis from government. So we, you know, I'm sure all of us remember the red tape challenge. Uh, we remember the code for sustainable homes being removed. Um, we, we, we've seen a general approach from the administration of the day towards taking away regulation because, uh, quote, um, it's bad for business uh, and certainly impediment to business for SMEs. That was a widely held view. And certainly I remember um, very, very close to the pre-Grenfell period having some significantly difficult conversations with senior members of parliament where they wanted to get rid of building regulation completely. So, so my, my view on that is the fact that we've come from a very low base uh, and that was driven on, on, the, on the misguided premise that just because we don't have serious disasters, we don't need the regulations. And I think that's completely wrong. And I know the FBA have, have, have um, been uh, looking at those details over recent years. Uh, and, and 100% I support the fact that, you know, we need regulation, but we need good regulation, regulation that people understand, but above all, regulation that people actually respect and adhere to. And that brings me to the other half of the answer to that question. And that is about the fact that 
I think the, the industry, certainly over the last 20 years, we have seen several trends. That those trends are about devolution of responsibility. They're about pushing responsibility down the supply chain. That's about compartmentalization of projects so that there is not any one thinking mind in charge and therefore there is not any one deposit of all the information, if you like, the golden thread of what goes on on a project. Now, therefore, that also tells me that there is very little respect for regulation. So when we delve into that, and, and again, uh, I'm, I'm sure Adrian will, will comment on this, you know, there is, there is an issue about understanding what the regulations are about. To me, the current set of building regulations are actually very simple. They're a set of very clear principles. And any designer has to ask themselves, have I fully complied? The challenge has been in terms of devolution, again, of skills. But the challenge also has been in people paying far too much attention to com to complying with the guidance in the regulation. And that has been a cul-de-sac, in my opinion. If you stand back and you say, right, have I really complied with the the key principles established in the regs, you've got a clear compass point that you can say yes or no to. And I think that has been part of this whole issue. So going forward, we've got to start to put some of that right. I think we'll touch on that later point in, in a few moments. Um, but just thinking about the, the points you were making with regard to industry response, do you think that industry in its widest sense has responded positively to Grenfell and the challenges that that, that, that has posed? I, I think it has. I think it has uh, in in the main. Uh, and, and I think, first off, it was a huge shock to everybody uh, as, as to, to exactly, you know, the, the extent of the disaster. Uh, and many people I know, including myself, were, were witnessing it and saying, how on earth can this happen? But then once we got past that, we could clearly see how it was happening because it was happening in front of us. You know, it, 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 we didn't know the detail at that time, but and some of the detail we still don't know. But we we clearly got a, a grip on what what had gone wrong, and and so I, I you know from very early on there have been a huge number of people expending an enormous amount of time and effort, literally hundreds and hundreds of people across the industry really, really pushing hard to create the new version of the construction industry that's needed on every level. Uh, and, and, you know, we have that today. And I think for those who are slightly outside of the industry or, or even on the periphery of, of some of those uh, centres of activity, they'll be saying, goodness me, we've had many years and what's really happened? What's actually, where's the reform? Where's the changes? Well, they are coming. But this is an immensely complicated set of criteria that we're trying to work with, uh, a huge uh, complexity of different topics. And above all, this is about changing the whole industry. And this industry is, is a big beast. There are many millions of people involved. You know, the, there, are, there are many hundreds of thousands of, of companies involved and lots of industry bodies. To bring all that lot together in, in a direction of travel that we need is uh, no small undertaking, uh, and I firmly believe it is happening. And there are lots of lots of people doing really excellent work to move us into an entirely different position. Mm. 
Yeah, I think my you know my experience, limited as it is, I'm somewhat on the periphery, but involved in some of the work that's gone on since since Grenfell. Um, I've been encouraged that so many people are participating. I suppose I'm still slightly concerned that there's there's a bit of a silo mentality still in a couple of areas, but in general terms, everybody seems to be pulling in the in the same direction, which is yeah, which is good. Yeah, yeah. I, can I can I just say though, Howard, I, I do think there are pockets within the industry. As I said, it's a big beast. I do think there are pockets in the industry that still believe that they keep their heads down um, and it will not affect them and they can carry on with business as usual. Well, I've got to tell you, I've got a message for all of them and that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen this time. We've been very heavily encouraging people, to, if they're not involved, to get involved. Um, and if they if they are sitting on the periphery and they think that they're you know they might be unaffected by these changes too, as exactly as you said, to think differently and uh, you know start to engage and and start to prepare and plan now because you know we already see that things are moving. But that does bring us on to um, quite nicely um, the, the, the next question I have for you. Um, you were asked by Dame Judith Hackett to chair the regulations working group for her independent review, as well as to sit on both the products and the golden thread working groups. And I know you mentioned the golden thread earlier. Um, in terms of safer construction in the housing sector in particular, um, what advances would you like to see made in the next five years and, and maybe 20 beyond that that you think will, will really make a difference to safety? Uh, what I would say is I think that Dame Judith's report set out where we needed to go very, very well. Uh, there will always be those people who say, well, you needed needed to cover this and you need to cover that. Um, arguably, they weren't in Dame Judith's remit, so therefore she, she couldn't necessarily do that. But it has set the direction. Now, where, where do I think we need to go? Well, we certainly need to join up better as an industry. There's There's been a lot of talk over the years about it's such a devolved sector it's such a fragmented sector and and to some degree I think recent work with the Construction Leadership Council has proved that we can come together and we can work better but a but a clear focus for me has got to be that the whole industry has got to operate at some level as, as one industry we have got to have a clear understanding of, of who does what across the sector to make sure that that, that people aren't um, setting up in opposition uh, just because it wasn't invented here doesn't mean to say it isn't any good. And so an element of, of collaboration and coming together is really important. In terms of practical issues, I think we are seeing the development of a new regulatory formwork, framework that I think is really important for everybody to understand, get behind and above all respect. Um, but I also think we need to use the tools that are emerging, that are coming towards us. And primarily, I mean, digitalization. The, the, this industry is a huge industry. It is, is arguably around 130 billion pounds. It is um, bigger than automotive and aviation put together. Now, you don't see automotive and aviation still putting together their products piecemeal. They are fully digitalized, fully joined up. It's about time the construction industry was in, in a similar in a similar vein. And we've we've got some of that. You know, some of that is, is, is going on and we just need to get it joined up so that all parts of the industry and these two areas sort of parallel each other. One is about 
management and making sure that people understand what everybody's doing. But the other bit is utilising the tools that are available to make the industry uh, uh, much, much more um, cohesive. And so finally, um, and I know we might have touched on a couple of these points already, but um, what changes in fire safety would you like to see in the immediate future? And how do you think that they will affect or ensure that buildings are kept safe for another 75 years? Well, okay, so so yeah, we have touched on this, but I think it's really important to examine this point. And so for me, we, we have firstly got to ensure that everybody agrees with and understands what the regulations and what the principles are that we are addressing. Uh, and time and time again, I, I listen to debates about whether a particular regulation is correct or not. So I think as an industry and in collaboration with the government, I think we've got to be very clear what are the principles of the regulations we are sticking to. And then I think we've got to ensure that industry actually can deliver on those on those principles and around that there is also the need to ensure that that everybody in the industry is is pulling in the right direction not trying to do the cheapest or the quickest not trying to undercut um, another company undercut another consultant i think we, we've got to get past the point that it's quickest and cheapest is the driving force for the industry it is about is about delivering value about delivering performance, about being ethical and certain about what we are actually trying to achieve. And that goes for all aspects as far as I'm concerned. So that that would be my main goal going forward. I think we have we have set the scene in terms of the things that are currently in play and I, there's no reason to, to suspect that, that none of that is, is not achievable because I think it, it all is within our grasp and some would argue that it is essential for the um, for the future of the industry. I think Grenfell has actually resulted in a loss of confidence by the general public in construction, um, and I think the government has lost confidence in construction. The fact that we we cannot actually deliver safe buildings, and and, and I think that's very regrettable, and we need to push back on that. So I think that those are the key things that I would say we need to focus on, and it isn't just you know about getting the government to to do uh, to do new regulations it's about industry doing their part in parallel to that work as well that's that's really good peter thank you very much indeed i, I think i think we both recognize that we we've, we've only really scratched the surface um, of some of the changes you know we've not really delved into competency in any detail or the gateways or anything of that nature but it's been fascinating to get your insights certainly as somebody who's been working so closely with government and uh, um, and Dame Judith and the the various organizations that are um, developing and delivering the change that we need to see going forward Um, so just leaves me to thank you very much for taking some time out again to to chat with us and uh, for sharing uh, sharing your thoughts with us adrian dennis um thanks very much for joining me today and uh taking some time out to participate in our in our podcast in my conversation with peter we touched on the trend over the last 20 years towards devolution of responsibility through the design and construction arenas, through things like the red tape challenge, and then the the need for regulation that people understand, respect and adhere to. So starting off with a couple of questions um, to you, Adrian, first, if I may. 
in your view, do you think there's a lack of understanding about the thinking behind the current regulations and what they're trying to achieve? And has there been too much attention on complying with guidance in the regulations, more so than ensuring the underpinning regulatory requirements are met? Yes, Howard. I think what you're really asking is, you know, has the industry become too focused on compliance and not giving enough thought to what we're actually trying to achieve with the building regulations? And, and I suppose if you if you go to the high level, I mean, the building regulations say they're about, you know, protecting the health, safety and welfare of, of building users and occupants. And so that, I think, is probably widely understood. But you do get the feeling that in reality, we've all become very focused on, you know, compliance. So I suppose in, you know, everyday parlance, tick box is the the kind of accusation that would be made, wouldn't it? I mean, and I think I think the fact that post Grenfell, we've revealed just how widespread some of, you know, what is now considered to be unsafe construction has been, suggests that that was fairly systemic. Um, at the same time, I think it's probably a little bit disingenuous of government to say, you know, that um, people should have been paying more attention to the regulations rather than the the guidance, because the guidance does infer that the Home Secretary, you know, deems that if you follow that guidance, you will be you will be meeting the the functional requirements. So that there's clearly a kind of almost a conceptual mismatch here, and and of course, particularly when it comes to fire, what what we've learned is that. Um, the guidance itself is quite ambiguous and it's incredibly complex. There are so many different routes to compliance and you would have a quite a library if you put together all the all the fire safety guidance that underpins um part you know the part B approved document. So so it is it, complex and, and I think the, the the question at large is, you know, how much has been unwitting and how much has been a bit of gaming the system you know and that that's the thing that is very difficult to pin down isn't it yeah no absolutely is and i think you're quite right in terms of the the guidance you know the you know the government made an an attempt at um, simplifying the approved documents um which i think for a lot of people um was no more of a no more than a scratching of the surface and hopefully um as the reviews continue we'll see something that's a little more cohesive um and and maybe a little simpler to uh, to actually understand but but who knows i mentioned earlier in the in the introduction that you're secretary of the RIBA's expert advisory group on fire safety which was established immediately following the Grenfell Tower um disaster why do you think that the impact of Grenfell has continued to be so far-reaching in terms of the need to bring about change in legislation? And has the impact gone beyond the issues specifically linked to the appalling loss of life at Grenfell to focus attention on wider fire safety issues? I think, Howard, I mean, the most obvious reason why there have been such far-reaching implications is, you know, it was such a such a disaster with such a catastrophic loss of life, you know. So we'd been through a period when, you know, not not unfairly, many people had claimed that the number of deaths in fires had been on the decline for a long time. So to have such a catastrophic event with such a huge loss of life, I think, you know, inevitably raises lots of questions. And I, and I think probably the fires are in bolted and marking, although they didn't result in, in loss of life, I think many people thought they were quite near misses as well, didn't they? So we had, you know, we had we had events subsequently that kind of reinforced the fact that we had a problem. And then when attention turned to the high and even the medium rise residential housing stock, and it revealed not just issues with cladding, but issues with fire stopping, issues with compartmentation, fire doors, almost everything was placed under scrutiny and to some extent found wanting. I think it was inevitable then 
that there was going to have to be a you know a major reform and i think and i think it genuinely will be a major reform it'll be the biggest shift since that that 1984 building act i think um and um and it won't just be well, we know already it isn't just focused on high-rise buildings, it's fo- and it isn't just focused on cladding. And I think I think many in the industry are pleased that the Building Safety Bill does have provisions that apply to all buildings, not just the enhanced provisions that apply to the to the current categorisation of higher-risk buildings. My next question is for is for Dennis. Um, Dennis, you were a panelist at the FPA's Fire Conference event last month and had some really interesting insight on how transforming culture and competency can improve fire safety. Um, I know we, we'll come on to talk about competency aspects in a few moments, but looking firstly at the cultural factors, in your view, how important will a collaborative approach between architects, construction teams and building owners be for the future of fire safety? And do you think the fire sector has worked together more effectively in recent years? I do. And uh, if I First of all, just pick up a little bit from what Adrian was saying. I mean, he mentioned the complexity of this environment. And I think that's that's a key feature that we've got to take into account. I mean, the built environment is extremely complex. And the professional background of the fire sector, whether it's risk assessment or providing fire safety critical products, uh, is interlinked totally into how that built environment develops. For example, if you take a simple product, whatever that product is, I mean, if we are not clear on our understanding, our mutual understanding between the manufacturer, the test house, uh, the provider, the installer, then how do we honestly expect somebody like a fire risk assessor, an enforcement officer, uh, an inspector, building inspector, to be able to gauge, assess the risk that's being presented? And you... You can do all you can with tracing a product uh, and so on. Um, But even on a little issue like that, you can see the complexity start to emerge. And I think what we've seen, particularly since Grenfell, is a tremendous working together. I mean, I, um, with many others, became involved with the Industry Response Group and the Competency Steering Group. And for the first time in a long time, I could say quite honestly, we were working with people who started to understand the problem from the other person's perspective. You know, not just multidiscipline engineering teams, but a wide spectrum of interests where people working in different parts of this whole building sector started to see fire from a different perspective to perhaps what they'd seen before. But what worries me, and it does worry me, is that this isn't new. Um, Culturally, I mean, I can remember a report back in the 1990s, um, well known because it was by Bickerdyke Allen, which talked about architects and how they uh, should learn more about fire, fire development, fire behaviour, so that their design and capabilities of the buildings could be matched. That hasn't really dramatically improved. Um, when I talk to colleagues in schools of architecture, you still get this sense that it's not it's not central um, to their educational process. So there's an underlying cultural tendency, and it's a bit like the one that Adrian mentioned about tick boxes. There's a tendency to concentrate in your silo because 
the level of complexity now within buildings and what which, whichever part you work in is such that you really do need, if you're to be competent, to pay a great deal of attention to your tasks. And the consequence of that, if you're not careful, of course, is you fail to cross-fertilise, you fail to work together. And that's not a criticism. That's a, that's the real world. That's That's where people are. I mean, on top of that, you then get people gaming that as we've said, and you also get people who just fall behind in knowledge. This is one of the, I always feel this is one of the fastest growing areas in the national economy. The, the, the sheer level of innovation, the drives that you get from alternative policies, zero carbon, things like that, the drive to insulate, uh, the drive to build more homes, uh, faster, cheaper, all these things have implications and fire is one of those um, subjects that crosses many, many boundaries, you know, um, and it's it's therefore very, very important in my uh, feeling that we do have a culture of sharing and understanding each other's perspective. Um, and fire, I thought, I, I've often thought in the past was treated as a sort of add-on when in reality, um, it's, it's integral virtually to all that we do. And culturally, we need to establish that. Much of what happened, I think, if you speak to fire people, was because we weren't being listened to. We felt we were just not being listened to. And listening to those voices now is a bit too late. Um, and we should have been listening as we were going along. The flags were being raised. The flags are still being raised. You know, when I when I look at modern what people call modern construction, which is actually how we now build, I see some frightening circumstances. Here where I live, not far away, is Beechmere, uh, a home, a residential home that just disappeared. Disappeared in an hour or two in a fire. That shouldn't happen in any building. It's a relatively modern construction. So Yes, culture is integral. Yes, we need to get better. But yes, it is working. And and the work, for example, as I said, through the competency steering group of bringing groups together and what is now appearing through HSC with IIIC, you know, the Independent Interim uh, Competency Committee, I think that sort of work is quite crucial to how we take this whole thing forward. I'd just like to pick up on the comments you were making there really with regard to um, house building, modern methods of construction, um, needing to build faster and more cheaply um, and look for carbon reduction initiatives. Um, Adrian, you, you were closely involved in the development of the updated RIBA plan of work. Um, how do you think this will impact the use of modern materials and modern methods of construction for fire safety moving forward? Well, I think Howard, as, as Dennis was saying, I mean, I mean, it, these are quite fast-moving times in terms of innovation in construction, and and the RIBA plan of work has had to, you know, be adapted to that and adapted to the sort of you know different procurement methodologies that we were also talking about, where you know that the reality is that there is no longer necessarily a single leading design mind that can control the entire process, you know, and, and we've had to adapt the plan of work to that. Um, and there are undoubtedly risks in all this. I mean, um, I don't think anybody wants to to stifle innovation. And, and in actual fact, you know, we've almost forced to go there because we know that we're going to 
face a skills shortage probably over the next few years. So there's a pressure to perhaps get a bit more off-site construction. And, and of course, that potentially creates better working conditions for people and things like that. And as Dennis said, you've got this tension between the climate the climate action agenda, if you like. You know, and I mean, I think there's pretty much universal agreement that the built environment represents about 40% or so of, of carbon emission. You know, what, what, what can we do to address that? And innovation in materials and construction methodology is probably part of it. Um, I think I think the issue is, you know, probably this is where testing is so important. I think I think if you're going to innovate, you do need large scale tests, you know, that that actually test how these things work in in reality. So a really good example is cross laminated timber. You know, from a from an environmental point of view, there are lots of positive things to say about cross laminated structural timber, but it isn't really tested at a large scale certainly at height you know so so you know we we really do need proper reliable test data before we rush to adopt these new technologies and um you know and and we have to think about the 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 proportionality as you said i mean it isn't just a matter of height i mean dennis mentioned that that very bad fire in cheshire in the um in the in the elderly care home um there might be certain technologies that you might think are appropriate in one one type of building and not another you know so so i think we do need that kind of evidence base um but i I don't i don't think anybody wants to stifle innovation they just want more reliable data on which to make these judgments you know and not 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 be experimenting with real buildings and real lives do that in a in a, in, a, in a test setting first. You know. I'd like to move on and, and, and just touch on competency if I can. And uh, a question for Dennis. Um, Adrian made reference earlier to, you know, the, the, the library that would be required um, if you wanted and needed to understand guidance um, for the built environment or for construction, um, depending on the nature of the premises and whether you're going to follow an approved document route, a BS double nine double nine route or whether you're going and are working in a school using bb100 or health technical memorandums in healthcare responsibilities um and i know that another key theme that we've come back to a few times and that you've touched on already um as being integral to improving fire safety in the future is competency um as an industry, do you think we're getting closer to having a clearer definition of what competency is and crucially meeting the competence requirements that have been set out? From my perspective, competency is the thread that runs through all our work. It doesn't matter what you do, but particularly in the area that we're interested in, uh, it, it's a key, a key feature. And that level of competency um, is improving. I think it is becoming better defined. The work that I mentioned through the Competency Steering Group and their reports, raising the bar, setting the bar, are good indications of how we're coming out of those silos, starting to get together uh, a lot better. I mean, for example, there's a current professional debate about how can you assist people identify what level of competency they might need uh, to operate within buildings, given that some some levels of operation are, are relatively uh, simple, basic. Others are within a sort of generalist area and there are other areas which are highly engineered, requiring expert sort of understandings. So stratification across competency is now a a professional discussion amongst all groups um, about where do I sit and how do I standardise this. For me, within within fire in particular, I, I find it quite interesting that we're now 
entering a stage where I think we're trying to professionalize this process. Um, and by, by professionalize it, I, I mean actually make it both attainable and understandable and recognizable, not just within the industries and within uh, fire and within, within the built environment, but for the public and for, for all those people who interact particularly under the new legislation of the bill, you know, the appointed uh, persons and the responsible persons under the existing fire safety order. So we're getting to a stage, I think, where over a period, almost you could argue since we came out of prescription as our standards, and I mean, Adrian mentioned the 84 Building Act, you know, almost from when we started this long trek away from prescription, we're getting to a stage now where we're actually trying to create different levels of understanding on competency across a very wide range. And it's so important. I mean, if you take one of the greatest prerequisites to prevent fire spread and damage and loss, whether that's in property and in lives, um, compartmentation, we all realise how, how difficult, first of all, it might be to look at compartmentation after construction, you know, without being intrusive, how can you guarantee that what should have been a 60-minute shell is a 60-minute shell? And then we all know on top of that that as other interactions with the building occur, how easy it is to breach the compartment and completely nullify the design concepts, the fire strategies, the safety of the occupants and the spread of fire throughout the building. Now, that can apply from a from a plumber breaching a, a compartment wall to simply put a pipe and badly fire stopping it. But a designer could equally do something like that if they started to open and remodify and repurpose a building. And and it's it's actually about getting into that professional understanding of the behaviour of fire, which goes back to where I was before about how do we educate and bring people culturally through this process. And I think moving away from the ticks box and moving into a professional understanding where people have to demonstrate they they really do recognize the principles and foundations upon how fire and structures behave once you start to get into that at the different levels for the different jobs that people do you really are moving competency to a different place and that recognition i think is now is now starting to emerge you can sense it and you can see it in some of the work that's being produced by different different groups some people have got a lead on it you know i mean i think of some of the engineering institutions they've been going for donkey's years centuries in some cases some are pretty well new kids on the block and they're trying to get up to speed and create the right sort of environments to do that and i, I do think we're getting there but but it, it really does take commitment and i worry about alignments between policies, as I've touched on. I mean, a simple alignment in government, government between those responsible for what we construct and those responsible for the buildings we live in, you know, it's split between two government departments. Simple policy alignments at that level are quite crucial, but so they are within our industries. Moving on to, to our last question. Um, and it, it's a question I put to, to Peter when I spoke to him earlier, and, and, and I'd like feedback from both of you. Um, and this is about looking forward. Um, I know that we're looking at, as Adrian said, unprecedented change in the built environment and the legislative environment for fire safety. But what changes 
would you like to see um, in the immediate future, maybe things that haven't been considered thus far? And how do you think they might evolve to ensure that buildings are safely maintained for another 75 years and well after that? Looking forward, I'm optimistic that we, we've learned a really a terrible tragedy, but we have learned a really big lesson. Um, and I do think that that will give us the basis of, of trying to get the system right going forward. Having said that, um, we have a tendency in this country to, I would use the word complacent. If things go well for a long time, then we, we seem to think, well, that's we've sorted this, we can forget it. And then worse than that, sometimes we actually extract resources from it. We don't just take our eye off the ball. We, you know, we, we divert our attention and our resources elsewhere. And I just hope going forward, you say, what, what do you wish for going forward? I just hope we remember these lessons, this particular lesson, really, really well. I secondly think that we, we, we must have the resource capability and infrastructures, as I've mentioned, to do that. I, I'm sad to see the loss of people who do independent research into fire. And by independent, I mean they're not paid by you know a company, and therefore it's confidential information. I, I I regret the day we lost really our fire research laboratories in Boreham Wood, who used to publish public reports. They would look at things and tell us what was going on and inform us. And I think that was so important. And I do hope that we find a modern way of doing that, of sharing what we know, uh, because I think that's so important. I I'm old enough to remember Summerland and the debates about agreement, agreements and Oroglass and all those sorts of things after those fires. And yet the product the product problem is still with us. It's not, not never gone away. You know, so I just hope we can remember to keep an observatory going, focused on the future, that's looking for what's coming through, where industry is innovating and thinking, actually, let's just check this. Let's just check this, that there isn't a negativity to this product that, that actually needs to be balanced. And I think that's so important, as, as we said, and Adrian said, looking at the climate agenda, because it, it's so easy to just divert your, your energy. Having said that, I think we're well on the way um, with the other, the other side of it, of trying to get underneath and understand and improve our individual competencies to, to learn these lessons. But I do, I do feel some parts of, of what we do need regulation. They they cannot uh, they cannot be just left to the market, um, and I suppose that's that requires government intervention, whether we like it or not, to keep some of the big the big things on track. I'll leave it at those three. When I answer this question, I mean, I think I think the building safety bill is very. I mean, there's things to criticise in it, obviously, but but I think that it's a really positive step, and I think giving responsibility to the HSE is a positive step. Adrian Dennis. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great to have you both here on the uh, on the podcast with us today. Some hugely important conversations there for this special anniversary episode of Assembly Point. But sadly, this brings us to the last episode in the series. Be sure to listen out for the new series in the new year, however. We hope you've enjoyed the first series of Assembly Point. To make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. 